So we're going to continue in worship this morning through the word. Uh, I really hope, you know, as we, we come together on Sunday morning and stuff and we talk about what God is doing in our lives, I hope that you in your own life, like in your personal life or spending time reflecting in the word of God, meaning the Bible, okay? There is nothing like uh, coming into God's word and encountering the realities that he spoke over us as we talk about our faith, um, as we talk about a spiritual journey, um, as we just consider our life's ambitions or goals, uh, there's, no, nothing, there's nothing on earth as profound as listening to what the Word of God says. I am amazed. And I know I'm a pastor. You should, well, you're supposed to be amazed. No, I am, I'm just shocked by how relevant the Word of God is to our lives and how much it's, it's wasted because we don't engage in the conversation with God. All right. So I hope in your own life, that's a long way of saying, I hope that you're, if you have a Bible, I asked someone this morning, did you bring your Bible? And they're like, no, I don't have a Bible. I would encourage you to get one. If you, if you can't afford one, talk to us. We'll buy you one of your choice. We'd love you to have a Bible. Um, and then if you have one, like I had one for years and years, go ahead and get that thing out other than Sundays and, uh, and dust it off and open it up. And just read what God has to say. Uh, it's powerful, powerful stuff. It will change your life. And I would encourage you, God will change your life through it. And I would encourage you to engage in the conversation. Um, that's all we do here at Family Bible Church, honestly, is open the word of God and see what he has to say. So I hope you're doing that. Uh, what, a, what a shame if we aren't doing that in our lives. All right. By the way, that's what our goal of family groups is and everything else. Just engaging in the word of God, having community together, and, and uh, being on journey. Um, as we move forward together. So we've been studying the, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. This is our final week in this series. It holds this teaching that, that Jesus makes, and the songs we just sang remind me so much of it, you know, that this need that we have, we are stuck where we are. We are desperate for a solution from God. And, and in John, chapter 3, we hear Jesus teaching uh, Nicodemus about the solution that God will provide. And, um, and so as we do always, we're going to pray before we enter into the Word of God. God inspired the word to be written. He inspired people, and he can inspire you and I to understand it. And so uh, we're going to ask him for wisdom and insight as we open the word of God today. Pray with me if you would. Father God, today we've come here to worship you, to sing your praises, uh, to acknowledge the promises you've made over us, and just to be where we are, Lord. Um, waiting upon you, but following after you with all the strength you've given us, Lord, that we're looking for you. We got our eyes lifted to you, to what you're doing in our lives, to, to the miracle of our salvation, and to the new life we found in Christ. And so today, as part of our looking, uh, we're going to be looking at your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would indwell every heart and every mind that's here today, that you would em empower me by your grace to proclaim your word rightly, that you would give us clarity in this time, that it wouldn't just be like theory, but applied, that we would live it out, Lord Jesus, for your glory and for the sake of your name. And Father, in everything we do, we pray that it be before you, <laughs> children of the light, honestly revealed and proclaiming your glory to the nations. You are so good. We trust you so much, and we thank you for the opportunity to even ask this. Uh, and we ask it in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, the people of God say, Amen. Amen. So go ahead and turn, if you would, to John 3. John's in the New Testament. It's the fourth gospel. Um, it is not the synoptic gospels. There are three that are synoptic, right? Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is the fourth. John's a great book, and we're going to kind of 
jump around here a bit today, but we're going to start where we've been in John 3. So I'm going to start reading again. If you've been here, you've been hearing this for the last couple weeks, but I'm going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to roll all the way through to the end, and then we're going to talk about the end passage here, okay? This is what the word says. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You'll remember that was you all must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and yet you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. If I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe... How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Now, I don't know what kind of a Bible you have. If you're using one of ours, by the way, uh, all the text is the same color. But if you have one like mine, there, some of your text may be red, right? Um, it's called the Red Letter Edition, my Bible. And it means it's the words that they think Jesus spoke. I mention this to you because it's interesting in, in this particular passage. John 3.16 is the verse we started talking about with this series. For God so loved the world and gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, right? And, and what's interesting is that um, uh, some of it attributed these words to Jesus. That's what my Bible says, all read. And some of it attributed, attributed them to John, the author of the book. Not a big difference there, but I want you to be aware of that as we enter into this, because Jesus has just taught, and we remember last week, Jesus had just taught that the Son of Man who came from heaven must be, what, lifted up, right? And you'll remember, we went back and looked at the passage in the Old Testament where the snake was made of bronze and put on a stick and held up high so that everyone who was bitten in Israel could see the snake and be saved. It's kind of odd that it was a snake. I'm kind of uncomfortable with that, but that's what, how it worked. They were being bit, God had sent the snakes 
to attack Israel because of their kind of complacency, and, and, and they were desperate for a solution. And God says, now if you look at the snake, which I'm lifting up, you will be saved. And everyone who looked, the word says, was saved. You'll remember whenever Moses was reminding the Israelites when they were entering into the promised land, he told them the story again and said, don't forget how God delivered you from the scorpions and the snakes in the desert, right? We talked about that. And so here Jesus has just said, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. This came at the end of his teaching about new life. So if you start there in 16 with that idea that Jesus has just said the Son of Man must be lifted up, then John says, because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, you see? Because they're making a case that this is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That whenever Jesus said the Son of Man, he was speaking of himself, who had come. Um, There's all kind of ways that we can see this in the scripture, but you can tell when he's talking about, I can tell you of heavenly things. How can he know? He said, no one can know of the things of heaven if he didn't come from heaven, the Son of Man. And yet I'm telling you things from heaven, and you aren't believing. You don't even believe what I'm telling you about the earth let alone heaven, all right? And so this teaching this week in John 3.16, I want you to see this clearly. I want you to remember every time you see someone talk about John 3.16, or remember John 3.16 because it's been so taken out of context. I want you to remember that it was part of Jesus' teaching about new birth, about seeing the kingdom of God, right? It's a great message. We have to proclaim it with John that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and yet there is a, you can't see this, Jesus had said, until you were born again. So the first thing that we're, that we're going to start with, again, we've done it every week, is the reality that, um, that in Jesus' you know, teaching, new birth is required. It's required. And, and, and the reason I'm making a big deal of that is because too much of religion says that we're going to earn our way, we're going to find our way, we're going to do something that deserves salvation, that somehow we're going to get on God's good side. The truth is that God couldn't love you anymore. I think mean, that's true for every person in this room, no matter where you're at. God couldn't love you any more than he already has, than he already does. And so it's not about us finding favor with God. It's not about us finally doing the right thing so God loves us, but it's about us just receiving this gift. And Jesus says this gift is new life, new birth, new eyes, new ears, a new heart, a new spirit. It's a gift from God. And we receive that through the love he demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, so that's the first thing is that this is required. This is required for everyone to believe, to see. So here's in John 3, 16. So, so the first thing is that new birth required, but um, uh, the next thing I want you to see here in John three sixteen is that the life, death, resurrection of Jesus is a gift, right? I, I want you to see this now because it's easy to miss it. And you might go, okay, I, you know, but, you know, Jesus had just said, you know, you, you must have new life. You must be born again, right? And it, it feels very external to us. But I want you to see that, that on the cross of Christ, when Jesus willingly, listen to me, opened his hands for sinful men to nail him to the cross, it was not a lack of power. It was a demonstration of love, Right? This was God's one and only son. And his life, his death, and his resurrection were a gift from God. The word in John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he what? 
Huh? That, yeah. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave, right, his only son. That this gift of life. Remember, the biggest holidays we have as believers in Christ is what? Christmas, right? Coming up in December. We celebrate it in December. Christmas, why? Because God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son. You know, that's the narrative of Jesus coming to earth. That, that God was so desperate to save us that he came in human form to show his people, save his people, redeem his people. And, and then the second big holiday we have is what? Easter. Thank you very much, right? And in the middle there is Good Friday. So the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, that's Easter is the resurrection, are a gift from God. God is a great, great giver. He is a generous God, and he freely, freely gives us his son. We, there's been a lot of talk about this over the years, about how could you give your child. We know the narrative from Abram, who became Abraham, who prayed for a son for years and years, and then finally in his old age, God gives him a son, and he's so delighted, and then God asks, will you give your son back to me? And it's this big testing of faith in the First Testament, the, New, the Old Testament, right? And here we have this perfect demonstration Of God's gift. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son who came from heaven to explain the things of heaven to us on earth, though we did not believe him, the one who willingly opened his hands to be crucified on the cross, though we thought we were triumphing over him, and the one who was lifted up, as John 3.15 says, so that all may see the glory of God. And so here we have this demonstration of God's generosity toward us. I want to ask you a question. When, when we think about getting a gift, when we think about being a generous person, what do, what do we think of? Uh, where does your mind go when you think about, boy, that person is generous, you know? Um, this is where we get from, from the cross of Christ. Like everything in our faith, everything in our life is, is poured out from the cross. The Holy Spirit of God is a gift that's received through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. His resurrection from the dead is promised when he shows up in the book of Acts to the, the, the first disciples, the apostles. Everything is a gift. But when I think about generosity, do, do you ever think about God? The, the one that demonstrates the most profound way to give. You know what I usually think of when I think of generosity? I think of cash. I think of finances. I want to talk to you real, this isn't about finance. I'll tell you real briefly, though, about what you are doing, what you are doing at your job. You're selling your life. I am too. I'm not picking on you for that. But you're saying that, that this is what my life is worth. I will receive this much to give you an hour of my time or a week of my time or a year of my time or my summertime or, you know, a month of my time or the next 25 years of my life. You are, you are negotiating for the value of your life, you see. So when someone, I think of generous, I think of people being generous, I'm like, man, that person is so generous because they're giving to others, right? I would, I would say that what we see demonstrated in the cross of Christ is the most generous. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-blowingly generous what John 3.16 says. That God loved us so much that he gave his only son. I want to ask you a question. 
How much do you think Jesus is worth? I mean, just think with me for a minute. How much do you think God who spoke the universe into existence, God who knit us together in our mother's womb, God who made Adam and Eve and all the birds and all the creatures and all the world, how much do you think his life was worth? If you were interviewing Jesus for a job interview, how much do you think you would offer him to stay on staff? (laughs) How much, I mean, I just want to know, like, what, what would you give? There's a lot of people we give a lot of money to for what they do. I can't think of anyone more priceless than the Son of God, the Son of Man. And John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, us, that he gave his one and only Son. But he might be lifted up that all could see and be saved. The word is so profound that I want to see, and this is where we get in, because I want to see that when we're, when, we're, when we're thinking of the value of our life, we're thinking, what is it worth? Who will I die for? What will I give my life up for? What will I trade my life for? My breath, my hours, my days? The idea of generosity comes from the reality of God and the gift in Jesus Christ. There is nothing, nothing more valuable than Christ. And the amazing thing is that God so loved us that he gave his son. I want to tell you something else about Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, no one can do what Jesus did. There was no sacrifice that was as valuable. Years the Israelites had been bringing sacrifice to the temple. There was nothing that was, that was bringing peace between God and his people. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was at best like a distant treaty. It was at best a, they were walking on eggshells. We hope this is going to work. And there was nothing more profound than Jesus Christ himself shedding his blood on that cross. Every man gathered there. You know one of the things that's interesting about the cross of Christ? When I first heard it, I didn't, I'm like, this one guy died on the cross. You know, whenever God gave me new eyes, when he, when he, he gave me new life, new breath, I wept at the foot of the cross. For the first time, I wept. I went from someone who was completely indifferent to the things of God to someone who would sit and cry like a baby. You know Why? Not because I'm crying like a baby, although some of you might think that about me. Because I realized for the first time in my whole ever-loving life that it was me that put Jesus on that cross. It was my sin that he opened his hands and gladly gave up his life for. Now, that changes your whole world. I mean, that kind of a realization, you're, you're just broken for good. When you realize the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his son that you and I might be born again, have new life. Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection is a gift from God, and I hope we hold it in high esteem. I hope we give God thanks and praise for the power 
Now read on with me in John 3.17. By the way, a lot of people know 3.16. I would challenge you with this. If you've never memorized 3.17, I would advise you to memorize 3.17. It's even easier than 3.16, okay? But this is what John 3.17 says. Because God did not send his son into the into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I want to talk about two things here in John 3.17, okay? The first is this. I love 17 because it comes on the heels of 16. That's nice, right? And it's almost like, it, it's like, almost like God thought this up because it's so good, you know, because it all goes together, right? We've taken it apart, but it all goes together. And, and there's a reality that the same people sometimes who hold up, hold up the signs that say John 3.16, which should say, so God so loved you that he gave his only son, are the same people who are screaming hate-filled, hurtful things at people who don't know Christ as if it's, you know, their fault. I mean, they're just screaming at people hate. And if you look at 17, 17 says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. It's a job too small. 18 is going to say, because the world already stands condemned by God. You don't need to condemn the world further. That's the way things are. I, would, I will make a case to you that our culture, our biggest cultural struggle with sin, right, which is all the brokenness you see in our world, not just in America, but in the whole world, is our desire to find a way for our sin to not be sin without the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just want somehow to wiggle around, to worm around, and find a way that it's not sin anymore. But what John 3.18 says is that the world already stands condemned. That's why we're squirming. Because we need a solution. You see, so 17, memorize that. He didn't send his son to condemn the world, but what? To save the world. Now, hold on a minute. You want a big job? Here's a big job description. Jesus Christ saved the world. Save the world. It's right there in your Bibles. Look, John 3, 17. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save it through him. This is Jesus' job description. If it was like, you know, his, uh, um, what is it called? This, the, uh, yeah, resume or this, there's a fancy word, uh, CV or whatever. This was it, right? It was like, Jesus Christ, save the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> what have you done lately? Save the world. You know, what are you doing tomorrow? Saving the world. What did you do years ago? Saving the world. It's his job. I'll tell you, it's a big job saving the world. Praise God he sent Jesus to do this work. Because without Jesus, there was no salvation. There was no hope for salvation. John gets so excited, he writes a book about it. You can't believe what happened. The word became flesh, and Jesus came to save the world. It's really, really good stuff. I hope you can see that. I think you do, you know, because you know what our culture loves? Young people, old folks, everyone, you know who we love? We love a superhero, don't you? I, mean, I, I don't know, do you not like superheroes? I love superheroes. I love superheroes because they're so cool. They can do stuff that I can't do. And, 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 then they, and I'll tell you what the best quality, the best quality in a superhero, you know what it is? It's if, you, if you watch anything, you know, the, the Batman movie was just out, and the Spider-Man, new Spider-Man was out, and then there's all kind. We keep retelling Superman, Man of Steel's coming out, right? You know what the best quality we see? We long for self-sacrifice. That's what it is. Our, our definition of a hero 
is someone who would lay it all down for the sake of those he's protecting. That's what we watch for. That's the drama. That's the point. That's where it builds to. Is he going to do it? Or is he going to be selfish? Is he going to be selfless? Or is he going to serve? And we watch. We make movies. We tell stories about superheroes. And I want to tell you that Jesus is the model. That Jesus is the model. He's the one and only superhero. No one else comes close. And as a matter of fact, and I don't know, again, this is ISSC, but if you watch those, you'll see when they get really close to the gospel. You'll see when they get really close to the reality they're trying to proclaim in a culture that can't quite get there, can't quite proclaim it without using Jesus as the model, that he's going to give it all, that the one who had everything to lose gave it all up so that you and I might have life. So this is Jesus' job, and it comes here after. John uh, 3.16, it comes here after Jesus says, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Because the Son of Man, the Son of God, was sent to save the world. Look at 18 with me. I want to walk through it, and then we're going to press on. But look at it. Whoever believes in him, this is Jesus, is not condemned. You know why? Because you're believing. You have new life. You've been born again. But whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There's, there's this kind of real clear line where it says, if you don't believe, you already stand condemned with the whole world. We're going to talk about that in a minute because you're probably thinking, well, that's not fair, right? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But, but here it is. And he says, but if you believe, you already, you do not stand condemned already because you believed in God's only son. But if you are rejecting his son, you already stand condemned. It's not that you get condemned for rejecting his son. It's that you already stand condemned if you don't accept it, the gift the gift from God himself. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> I'm going to teach you a little Greek. Look at this. 19 says this. This then is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Right? The Greek I'm going to teach you is real easy. You know what it is? Crisis. Say that with me. Crisis. Crisis. That's right. He says, this then is the crisis. That's what John says. Verdict is the way it's interpreted. The Greek word is crisis. And it means this then is that point of judgment, that point of decision. This is that big deal, that big thing that, 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 that you're stuck with. This is the crisis that you're facing in your life. And this is what he says. We love darkness. That's the problem. We love darkness. This is why Jesus, the light of the world, ended up on the cross. To, to a person. This is why the disciples left his side. To a person. Because in our nature, in our very being, without God, we are afraid of the light. We flee the light because our deeds are evil. That's kind of a hard thing, isn't it? To be like, yeah, I mean, this is what, I want to show you where it comes from. 
You know, Jesus taught in John 3, you must be born again. He says you must be born of the Spirit like you were born of the flesh. We talked about the reality of that. But if we look in the Bible, we can find this repeatedly. But here's where we see the first instance of this loving darkness. It comes in Genesis. It's right after God creates everything, including Adam and Eve. You've heard the narrative. But in Genesis 3, this is the story that we hear. After they had taken, they had disobeyed God. They had done something they shouldn't have done. Their eyes were open, the word says, and they saw they were naked. And this is their response. And the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. You see, they were laid bare before the holy God they'd been walking with. And so they what? Sued. Sued. That's a funny word, isn't it? <laughs> Sewed. How do you say that? Fig leaves together. Now look at it. And made coverings for themselves. And then they went. And then they hid from the Lord their God amongst the trees and the shrubs. That's what you're doing back here, Rick. You'll know the rest of the story. It says God came walking in the garden as he always did. And he says, Adam, where are you? And they said, well, we, we heard you coming and we were afraid, so we hid. We ran and we hid. We took some of your glorious creation some of these leaves, and we tried to knit them together. Can you imagine how nice of an outfit that thing was, right? It, was, it couldn't have worked very well. And, and they're hiding, they're cowering, the children of God, those he loved, the ones that when he created them, he said, this is very good, the very good. They were now cowering in fear. They were trembling in his presence, and they were afraid. And they were hiding. John says the same thing. You hide because it's evil. It's not of God. So this is where we find ourselves in John 3, you see, John 3, 16. Hiding and cowering, wiggling, squirming, trying to find a way out of our predicament. Oh, God, the sin. This stands before us. It's terrifying. Oh, God, if you knew me, if you knew me, how could you love me? And into that painful, dark place, God comes with this balm of light, and he says, I love you so much that I gave you my son, that all of the sin might be washed away. The good news, church, is that although we love darkness, God loves us. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That although you and I are prone to run and hide, although you and I, if left to our own devices, would just continue to flee from God, he is after us and he loves us and he is saving us by his power and his grace. I got good news for you. The first time when you feel that spot, you're the, mo you're the most broken. You're thinking there's no way. You're thinking the lie that the gospel isn't for me, not people like me. That first touch from the Holy Spirit, that first nudge is so gentle and graceful that you won't even really recognize it maybe. And he'll start shepherding you back to his kingdom. He'll start drawing you in with grace until this moment 
when you have new life and you see and you worship and you praise him. And then we worship Jesus. I want you to look with me. It says in verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light, that's us before Jesus Christ, and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plain, seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the call for the church to live in the light, to throw off that old sinful nature that wants to hide from God and be honest about how hard it's been, to be honest about your sinfulness, to confess and forgive, to believe and be redeemed. John, John 3.13 says this, No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him would have life forever. This is the gospel. I mean, I, this is it, right? This is your hope for salvation. This is the gentle voice of God calling you out of the life of sin. I mean, just continually redeeming you. This is the unsatisfied God who wants all of you and will not let go until he has it. Well, I told you this is the story of Nicodemus. Three weeks ago, I told you we met Nicodemus. He's this Pharisee. And, and uh, he's a, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came, and he, he is engaged. I want to show you, as we wrap up here, I want to show you the final place that we see him. And it comes in John 19. If you flip back just a few pages, I'm going to show you here where we see Nicodemus show up again. You'll remember that the first time we saw him, he was asking questions. I know you're from God, and Jesus is like, you can't know unless you've been born again. You'll remember that he was with his brothers, who were also in the ruling council and the Pharisees, whenever he said, don't you think we should listen to Jesus? Don't you think he might be the Messiah? Don't you think it's worthy to hear him out before we condemn this man? And he was ostracized. He was cast out. And here, this is the culmination of John chapter 3. It happens in 19, and it's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I, I want to tell you, there's so much profound teaching in John 19. You could just spend years reading it. It's unreal what's all packed in there. I hope you're doing that in your life. But I want to show you that John 19, starting in verse 28, I want to read. It says, later then, listen to what the word says, knowing that all was now complete. That means Jesus had done everything he was supposed to do. He was called to save the world. Jesus said, scripture might be fulfilled, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so he soaked a sponge in it, and he put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and he lifted it up to Jesus, and he touched it to his lips. Why is he doing this? Because the Son of Man has been raised up. This is not what you may be thinking when you thought of lifting up Jesus, but whenever the Son of God is raised from the earth, he's raised on the cross for the whole world to see, to the point that when this is offered to him, it's offered on a stick, he's reaching it up, and when he had received this drink, Jesus spoke a word, a word that changed the eternity for everyone, and it was this, it is finished. Tetelestai is what he said from the cross. It's over. I have done it. I have finished my work. 
of all the miracles that Jesus did, of all the things that he amazed us with, the healings and the teachings and everything else that we love about Jesus, when he hung on the cross, when he breathed his last, when he received the drink from sinful man after being crucified, here he says, this is the moment, he says, it is done. This is good news. That means for you and me, on that cross with Jesus Christ, sin is done. That means on that, in that moment, as he breathed his last, the Spirit of God would be coming to us. He says it is finished, and with that, Jesus bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Skip down with me, if you would, to verse 38. It says, later then, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate. You remember Pilate was the one that said, I hold your power, your future in my hand. And Jesus said, you would have nothing if my father hadn't given it to you. Well, here Joseph of Arimathea comes back and he asked Pilate, can I have the body of Jesus? Now you see, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. That means he was a learner of Mathetes. He was after Jesus. But it says here that Joseph was doing it secretly because he was afraid of the Jews. It was, now, I want to I be careful. I'm not picking on Jews. He was afraid of his peers that didn't believe in Jesus. Like, this guy, Joseph, he, he was a believer. He was a learner. He was a follower. And, and, and yet, he was, he was afraid of what others would think if they knew. But he goes in a moment of courage, bravery, and inspire, inspiration, and he comes to Pilate and says, can I take the body of Jesus? And with Pilate's permission, he came and took away the body. Verse 39, he was accompanied there by Nicodemus. I love this. Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, just in case you, you know, have forgotten by now, okay? And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds of spices, he brought to the body. And then verse 40, Nicodemus taking Jesus' body, the two of them then wrapped it with spices and the strips of linen as it was in a custom of the burial practice of the Jews. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And at the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was a Jewish day of preparation, the Passover church, since the tomb was nearby, they carried and laid Jesus there. Here's Nicodemus. He comes and he says, we know you're from God. And Jesus says, you can't know anything if you're not born again. He says, shouldn't we listen to this guy, Jesus? He's making a lot of sense. And his friends say, what do you want? You know, you get thrown out of the group here. And at the end, at the crucifixion, at this bloody mess on a tree, he comes with Joseph, Nicodemus. I love this about him. And he's there. I don't know how you take a guy off of a cross, but it can't be an easy exercise. It's the day before Passover, the high holy day for the Jews. They don't want to leave him on the cross for that reason. And they take him down. He had brought 75 pounds of spices. You know what they've said about this? It would equivalent today. It would cost about $200,000 to $250,000 to bring that kind of a gift. I want to remind you that Jesus said you must be born again. Do you remember the three men that brought gifts to Jesus? You know, one was myrrh. Isn't that interesting? And the same gift is brought here at the end of his life by this new guy, Nicodemus, this guy who came wondering, could you be the one? And they took Jesus, who had said it's finished, and they removed him from the tree, and they carried him, and laid him down 
and they wrapped his body. Nicodemus got to do that. Like, it just amazes me that this one that some of us have a tendency to rebuke as being so far from God, oh, Nicodemus, you Pharisee, that that one's when Jesus said, you come to my cross. You take me down. You wrap my body that was given for you. Oh, church, come on. I mean, here, here's this moment, this most precious gift, something that Nicodemus sees so valuable. And they take the Son of God, the Son of Man, and they put him in the tomb. Nicodemus isn't mentioned anymore. But I hope what we've seen of him gives us an invitation that if you're looking, that if you're afraid of what your friends are going to think, if you really commit to Jesus, that if you think he's saying to you, you come. You would dare like Nicodemus to walk in and show up with all your gifts and say, Lord, I see it. Maybe for the first time. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Flip one more page over with me. John wrote this book. I told you he got so excited about what Jesus did. He wrote this book. But I want to share why. He wrote it for you and for me. In verse, chapter 20, verse 30, this is what John wrote down about his gospel. When he finished his work, when he put the pen to paper, the final thing he says is this in 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you all could have life in his name. I mean, the whole narrative, the whole story of the gospel, the whole story of Nicodemus, the whole story of redemption and the cross, it's all written. It's not supposed to be some detached, you know, story that we go, oh, that's nice, but something that we're invited into. And he says, this was written down that you might believe. Today, I'm going to invite you to respond to the gospel. I'm going to say to you the same thing, that this is your crisis by default, we love evil, but God loves us. And here we are offered again the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come up and lead us in a final song, but I want to give you three ways they do that you can respond. And I'm going to ask that question, have you been born again? Have you been born again? I mean, are you seeking God? And that's a question that I know I'm saying you can't do anything about, but I'm saying you can be after God. Nicodemus came and asked Jesus questions. Nicodemus stood up with his peers and said, shouldn't we be listening? I mean, Nicodemus took some action as he was being transformed by the gospel. And the question is, have you been born again? Are you on journey? Three ways you can respond is first is to come and confess him as Lord and Savior for the first time. Maybe you heard it and you're like, you know, this time I get it. I make sense. There's something happening here with Jesus. I don't know all of it because I got news for you, church. I don't know all of it, but it starts at the cross of Christ. And if you want to come and receive him as Lord today, you can do that. You can come. And then 
for some of you, maybe you've been following for a while, but you've been kind of just hedging your bets a little bit. You know what I mean? You've been kind of backing off of the Jesus thing. I don't know. I'm not so sure. The gospel of Jesus not only invites us in, but he continually invites us to be transformed. It's the gift. And so if you want to come and you want to recommit or, or, or continue journeying, we would love for you to do that. We'd love to pray with you and seek his leadership in your life. And then, and then the last thing, in a few weeks we're going to be doing baptisms. And baptism is an, as an external confession of an internal change. You know, that's what we're doing. And if, you want to, if you've never been baptized as a follower, I'm telling you, if you read, you know, the gospel accounts of baptism, it's a big deal, man. You want to do that? We would love to be part of that with you. And so if you're interested in being baptized, come talk to us. I'm going to ask the members of the prayer team that want to come forward. You can come forward. Don't feel like you have to as the song begins here. And we're going to stand up here. And if you want to come and receive today, I'm going to invite you to come and we will pray with you. I want to make it clear. We are fellow journeyers. We are not arbiters of God, but we are hearing him today. Speak to us through his spirit. And if you're hearing the same thing, come and pray with us. We'd love to do it. Pray as we prepare for worship. Father God, today your word has uh, spoken over us, Lord, and, and I just thank you so much for it. I thank you for the grace that we find in our Savior Jesus. I thank you for the hope that we find in our Savior Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for the way forward we find in our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, today that in every way you be moving in our hearts and minds. I pray, Father, that if, if I, you know, if there's those people who are stuck in darkness and those people who are terrified that it's going to be too hard to come to you, I pray that by your grace, your spirit would move them, that you would compel them toward yourself, that you would save them. Father God, I'm asking that you would save us today. And I pray, Father, that in everything you'd be glorified. And I pray, Father, that we would have the courage to follow you as we saw Nicodemus do in Scripture today. We give you praise and glory for the work and for the opportunity to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.